Welcome to Hollywood Obsessed with Tony Miros, a podcast that celebrates our endless fascination with the iconic people, locations, and history of the entertainment capital of the world. If you're as obsessed with Hollywood as Tony is, or would like to be, get ready to enjoy another exciting brand new episode of Hollywood Obsessed. Now, here's your host, Tony Miros. Hello, friends. This is your host, Tony Miros, speaking to you from the heart of Tinseltown. On this episode of Hollywood Obsessed, I'm chatting with actor John James, who starred on one of my favorite TV shows from the 1980s, Dynasty, and its even more spectacular spinoff, The Colbys. John began his career in New York City at the age of 20 on the classic soap opera Search for Tomorrow. Soon after, his talents caught the eye of ABC Broadcasting, and he was cast on Aaron Spelling's mega-hit primetime drama, Dynasty, playing the role of Jeff Colby. His success on Dynasty spawned the spinoff, The Colbys, based on his character, co-starring Ben-Hur himself, Charlton Heston. His post-Dynasty career flourished as he was cast on two national daytime soaps, as well as national Broadway show tours. A Golden Globe nominee, he's been on national talk shows such as Oprah, Larry King Live, E.T., Joan Rivers, and The Tonight Show. He hosted two nationally syndicated magazine programs and is constantly in demand as a corporate spokesman, and his distinctive baritone voice can be heard on numerous voiceovers. John has made countless appearances on TV shows, lead roles in numerous television movies, and in film, including Icebreaker with Sean Astin, Bruce Campbell, and Stacey Keach. In 2001, he was in the film Peril with Morgan Fairchild and Michael Perret. In 2002, Lighting Fire from the Sky with Jesse Eisenberg and John Schneider. Chronology with William Baldwin and Danny Trejo. He also starred and produced the documentary Addicted to Fame. In 2020, he starred in Accelerator with Sean Young and Sam Jones, which also reunited him with Colby's co-star Maxwell Caulfield. And now he's here with me on my podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am. I'm a huge Dynasty fan, so having him here today is such a treat. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome him to the podcast. Hi, John. Thank you so much for being my guest on Hollywood Obsessed. Hello, Tony. Thank you for having me on, and I'm excited to be here with you. John, I mean, the <laughs> memories I have of that show, of you and uh, and the whole cast, it's it seems like yesterday, but, you know... I was watching some of the old episodes and it was just so much fun. I, I wanted to just, before we get into Dynasty, I, I want to thank you so much for being on it because I was obsessed. I watched your show constantly. I knew every character, every storyline. I, I, I followed you guys like it was like my own family. You know, now looking back, I mean, you must be still surprised that so many people still remember the show. Oh my goodness. I, um, I can't tell you. I know that here in the States, of course, the show was huge. But I think it was even bigger around the world. Um, <clears throat> over the years and just recently, I um, I was in Serbia mm -hmm. uh, shooting a picture there last uh, about a year ago. And <clears throat> the hotel manager, the five-star hotel in downtown Belgrade, I arrive, the car drops me off at the front, and there's the hotel manager, the assistant manager, and three um, guest service people standing there. Yeah. I'm wondering, what is this for? <laughs> and he comes up, shakes my hand, and says, Mr. James, 
We are so excited to have you here at our hotel. They escort me up to my room. Inside, there is a uh, room service person standing there at attention. (laughs) And it was like I was the king of a small European country arriving into this suite. It was insane. So... He was telling me that in in Yugoslavia at the time, it was the biggest show. He said in Belgrade, the streets would be empty the night that it would air. And even the Communist Party was trying to get the show canceled off Yugoslavian television because they thought that it was going to pollute the minds of the working class with American (laughs) capitalism. And funny enough, we did our show, which we'll probably talk about cocktails with the Carringtons later. Yeah. We did it uh, at Oscars in Palm Springs. And there was a fellow right next door to Oscars, a Serbian, who owned this little uh, restaurant. And he was beside himself. And he said the same thing, how in Yugoslavia at the time, it was so big. But I think the most important thing, I was in Boston doing some post work on a picture that I was working on with a friend of mine. And I get into the elevator and there's this very distinguished lady in a uh, Brooks Brothers rain slicker. And she looked at me and without missing a beat, she said, my God, it's John James, Jeff Colby. (laughs) I said, yes. And this was just a few years ago. She said, when I was growing up in Lebanon, as the bombs were falling all over Lebanon during the revolution, I was huddled in my parents' apartment, and on the wall were pictures of you and Dynasty, and that's what got me through that Lebanese conflict. It's those kind of stories that just blow your mind. I mean, what I like as an actor is to work on stage. I always have. I've done enough, quite a bit of stage work. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing television or film, you never see your audience. You don't know if you're getting any contact. You don't know if it's having an impact. You don't know if you're getting a laugh. You don't know if they enjoy the scene because there's no audience. Right. So those kind of encounters just reinforce all these years later. How, for whatever reason, Tony, you would know better than I, why Dynasty had such an impact that even resonates to this day. It's true. I mean, I was I was doing my little research on on you and in the show, and I was like, it was in 70 countries, over 250 million viewers. People watched yeah. the show. It was and it was ginormous. And you know, back then out people, you know, who grew up now have no idea. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC. That was it. And when you had a number one hit show. Like the whole world was watching you. It was like, it was beyond. Um, well, Tony, just a perspective. Um, <laughs> we, uh, Jack loves this story. And uh, we were canceled with an audience of 29 million people. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, talking about Jack, Jack Coleman and Gordon Thompson and yourself, I met all three of you at Cocktails with the Carringtons in Palm Springs And it was such a terrific show. I mean, for a fan and for anybody who was just listening, your stories were so fun. And the guys, you guys seem so friendly. And it was such a lovely experience and evening. 
Um, and it was such a pleasure meeting you guys. And I, I'll, it's a memory I'll never forget. Are you guys going to do it again? I know you did it again at the Holly in Hollywood, but are you, you planning on doing many more of those? Well, yes, we we uh, we actually. Uh, I, I wish that you had seen. We added a song called Claudia, which is hysterical. <laughs> Claudia Waysdale, uh, mm-hmm. very very fun. We we appeared at the uh, Marriott for two nights, and then two nights at the Roosevelt right hotel in Hollywood. <laughs> And then, but what was great about the Roosevelt is um, we had Joan Collins and Percy. We had Pamela Bellwood and Nick, her husband. We had Max Caulfield and Juliet Mills. Oh my goodness, Patrick St. Esprit, who's on SWAT now, an old friend of mine, Susan Blakely, a bunch of other people and producers and writers. And we sold out that night and it was just, and it happened to be my birthday. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine, Tony? My birthday. And there's Joan and the whole crowd. We sold out, uh, was saying happy birthday to me. And I said, well, you don't know how difficult it was to plan this date. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone laughed, but it was so wonderful to see Joan. We all had cocktails after the show up in the lobby which is just a fabulous lobby at the Roosevelt Hotel. You know that. Too. Oh, it's gorgeous. I love that hotel. And we sat there until we, we closed the place, uh, God knows. And then we went up and had pizza in my room till, <laughs> I hate to say it, maybe four o'clock in the morning. But it was great to see Maxwell again. <clears throat> but um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. And then we played Feinstein's in San Francisco um, shortly thereafter. Um, the difficulty is... is for that kind of show, the the venues just aren't there anymore, Tony. Yeah, that's true. There's, we could have gone to Feinstein's, but it would have cost us money in New York. Yeah. Feinstein said, yeah, we'd love to have you. We're going to give you 2000 bucks. Well, $2,000 is not going to even pay for one hotel room. <laughs> and um, there are no venues like that really left in the country. And you can't play a big theater because it really is a nightclub kind of an act. Yeah. And that's sort of how I presented it to Gordon Thompson and Jack Coleman. And they love the idea, but I don't know. It's not dead. Maybe it'll come back again. We can always do it again, but it's finding, it's finding the right venue for that kind of a show. Well, I know that every time I would post something or I would put it on my social media, people would be like, tell them to come here, tell them to come there. So I know there's a demand. You just have to, I guess it's a matter of finding the right place. There isn't there. I mean, I mean, most theaters will be that are working will be either a community theater or there'll be a large house where they're running shows through there on tour. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, we spent months trying to find the right places and they they just don't exist. Well, here's hoping that there's another one, because, you know, I'll be front and center for sure. (laughs) Um, So you're not though, but you you come a long way from um, you. You didn't grow up in glamorous Hollywood. You're from uh, was it Minneapolis? Are you? Well, I was born in Minneapolis and I grew up in Connecticut, but uh, New Canaan, Connecticut, just outside of New York City. But yeah, I mean, I actually had a pretty interesting life. My father uh, is credited as being one of the people who created top forty music, the format. Mm-hmm. Back in the 60s, in the early 60s, from 
1959 to 1969, he was the morning disc jockey on WABC radio in New York City. And he's in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as a matter of fact, along with cousin Brucie, who's still on Sirius, crazy enough, my father passed away. But um, so I was a pretty hip kid because <laughs> the record companies would send my father uh, every week. We'd probably get 20 albums a week. And I I knew every artist and <laughs> every every group, even, even the classics. And so I grew up around a lot of music, but I didn't want to go into radio. Uh-huh. I, um, I, like you, Tony, uh, love old Hollywood. And for me, back in the 60s, old Hollywood, of course, was the 40s and the 50s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I studied Gary Cooper and Clark Gable and Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda. Those were my idols. They weren't contemporary actors. Uh, they were the classic actors. So lo and behold, I said, well, if I'm going to be an actor, I better learn what it means to be an actor. And I, Mrs. Russell Tutty, believe it or not, was her name. <laughs> My, uh, our drama teacher, English teacher in high school. Uh, at the time, I was a football player. Not a very good one, but I could never <laughs> stay, stay together. I kept breaking bones. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'd like you to be in this play, Oklahoma. I said, I can't do a play. I'm a, you know, I'm a jock. I mean, come on. <laughs> anyway, she convinced me and I got, I got the stage bug right there. It bit me pretty good. But then I figured I'd better figure out how to be an actor. And uh, so I enrolled at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York okay. City, where I studied there for almost two years. And I had to leave because I broke one of the school's rules, Uh which was you're not to audition while in school. Oh, really? Huh. Interesting. Uh, You have to wait until you graduate. Then you can audition. Well, I said, the heck with that. (laughs) And I ended up getting a job, a contract on Search for Tomorrow. So I went to Mr. Cunningham and I said, Mr. Cunningham, I'm sorry. But I have to I have to leave two months early because I, I just booked a job. I got a two-year contract on a soap opera. He said, well, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to dismiss you. And, you know, I never graduated. They never sent me a certificate. However, when Dynasty was a hit, suddenly I was on the front page with Robert Redford, me, Kate Jackson, all the alumni of the... <laughs> Academy of Dramatic Arts. They had no qualms about using me in their advertising. I'm sure. Well, look, things happen for a reason, you know, and at least you got the soap and that started your career. What were soaps like? I mean, I've heard they're super tough, you know, that they have the turnaround so fast. Was that your experience? Well, you know, Tony, I mean, at the time, there were, I think, 14 soaps on the air back in the late 70s and 80s yeah i think there were eight of them or nine of them were in new york city i shared a um, dressing room with kevin klein Mm. um christopher reeves was doing love of life michael murray was on our show kathleen turner was doing the doctors 
just about every actor in New York City did a soap because they paid well. Mm-hmm. And if you could get a, a job on Broadway, you could do that at night. Now, Search for Tomorrow came out of radio, and then it came out of live TV. So they had teleprompters, which I could never use because they were handheld and they were small and they were on paper that actually rolled. Oh, God. But um, they liked to shoot it as it was a live show. So when you finished your scene, the cameras would race down to the other end of the studio and get ready in a position for the next show. And if you, what they called stop tape, which means you had to, if you went up or it was terrible, terrible. And because they, they just didn't like to do that. They didn't want it. They didn't have the editing capabilities. They liked it all done live. So it was a pressure cooker. I mean, you had to know your stuff and lots of dialogue. Yeah. I think it's was, and I recommended it for a lot of young actors to try and get on a soap because it's it's baptism by fire. And just to move far enough ahead here, Chris Goutman was the producer of As the World Turns, and we were very close friends. Uh, he married uh, an alumni friend of mine, uh, Marsha McCabe, hmm. and he asked me to play a psycho doctor on As the World Turns. Well, <clears throat> they went from a half hour to a one hour format, oh. and then they um, said, okay, we're going to do five shows in four days. Mm-hmm. Five one-hour shows in four days. And no teleprompters. Oh, no. <laughs> Nothing. No teleprompters. And uh, it was it was terrible. It was the most difficult work I've ever, ever done. And uh, one day... I, I remember I had 37 pages of dialogue because they lumped all these different shows into one set. And I had 37 pages, Tony. And I was going along and everything was fine. And I said, hold, stop, 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 stop. So I'm sorry, I got to stop. I said, but didn't I just say that? (laughs) And they said, yes, but that was from the other show. And now we're doing a recap for this show. (laughs) Talk about... Uh, yeah, it's amazing that you even got through that. I would have had a nervous breakdown. Well, I thought I was going to. I really <laughs> did. That was the first time I thought that I wasn't going to make it. But then after that, you came Dynasty. How did that fall into your lap? I mean, was that like just a, well, a gift after from two, God or what? It was a gift from God. It was um, after two years, I was feeling a little constrained by the soap, I guess you could say. I could see that yeah, this could be a long-term career if you hung out here and could last, but I just had this desire to do more. Mm-hmm. And um, as fate would have it, they said, no more, John. Thank you for your, you know, goodbye. Mm. And I left and I thought, well, that's not good. I mean, I like to pay and now I don't have a job. So I auditioned for Greece on Broadway and I was one of the last guys. Actually, I was up there with six girls and they were sizing me up. Mm. And I knew the songs and I sang them well. I knew the lines. And they said, we're going to do hand jive, the dance. And I said, oh, my goodness, I didn't, I don't, I didn't rehearse that. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, and a one, two, three, and here we go, hand jive, hand jive. And I had no idea what to do. Thank you, John. <laughs> 
So I went to the Burger King across the street from the theater on Times Square, and I had a hamburger, and I thought, you know, this is such a crazy, and I felt so dejected. My agent called me and said, hey, I want you to meet with Joyce um, uh, Selznick next week on this uh, ABC talent search. I said, oh, come on, Dolores, you got to be kidding me. I said, every actor in town knows about that. And they're doing a nationwide talent search. It's going to be thousands of actors. That's stupid. Yeah. She said, just take them. I said, all right. So um, I walked into her office and she looked at me. And first thing she said is, what are you doing next week? Hmm. And I said, uh, about what I was doing this week, nothing. <laughs> and uh, she said, how'd you like to fly to Los Angeles? I said, you're kidding. Next thing I know, I'm sitting on the plane with Tom Hanks. Oh, my God. Who was signed. And Jillian. Mm. Uh, I believe Al Corley. He wasn't on that flight. But Al was part of that program. Who played Stephen, of course. Yeah. And we were put under a holding contract by ABC. And ABC was going to try and fit us. It's like the old studio days. It was great. Yeah. And fit us into their shows. Tom, of course, got uh, Bosom Buddies. Right. Al and I got um, Dynasty. Emma Sams was part of that program. Arsenio Hall. Uh, Michael Parade was part of that program. Oh, I, I don't. Uh, do they do that anymore? I don't know if they, they do did that. it. My wife, Denise, was the last year of that program. Oh, wow. And I was the perpetual bachelor in, in Hollywood, and I was just so. Couldn't find anybody that I really, really thought that I could go on at that point. And yeah. a lady by the name of Dottie Galliano, who worked at ABC, said, hey, are you going to this uh, ABC talent search thing mm-hmm. uh, in Century City? This, I said, nah, nah, nah. She says, no, I want you to go. I want you to go. She said, uh, I think you should go. There's, I really do. So out walks Denise on stage, and I went, Okay, wow. <laughs> and then I was introduced to her. And as I was being introduced, I had visions of the Irish setter, two kids in a farm out in the oh. country. And immediately after meeting her, Good Morning America shoved a camera in my face, and you could just <laughs> see that I was in Gaga land. I swear, Tony, literally two seconds after I met her. And uh, they asked how it changed my life. And I said, of course it changed my life. It changes a lot of people's lives, this program. Right. But that was the, that's how I got to Hollywood. It was my mm-hmm. first, I think, Tony, it was maybe one of my first, it was my first screen test. Wow. I, I screen test at, screen tested at Fox on a set. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was lit with an actor that they hired who I recognized. He was, he was a character actor. I mean, a real actor. Mm-hmm. He played Blake. And we did a scene in the library. It was full makeup, full single camera Panavision, uh, a director. Wow. It was like the old school screen tests. It was was this for Was this for, uh, for Jeff or were you for another No, it was character? for Steven. Oh, you were for Steven. Oh, wow. Steven. So that Friday, later in the week, Friday night, my agent called and said, good news and bad news. I said, oh, well, give me the bad news. You didn't get Steven. I said, oh, gosh. And I said, what's the good news? Well, you got Jeff Colby. I said, who? 
<laughs> I said, who? And I went back through the script. I did. I mean, I read the script, but I don't remember Jeff Colby. And then I saw these two little scenes with Fallon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he's from, who he is, what he is, other than he has Uncle Cecil. Right. By Lloyd Bachner. Yeah. And we did the show. And that's how it started. Amazing. But it wasn't called Dynasty, right? It was called something else? It's called Oil. Oil. It's called Oil. And um, yeah, when I arrived at Fioli in San Francisco to shoot the pilot, I remember meeting Linda Evans, who I was just like, it was like, oh my God, movie star. And beautiful. My God, that woman is gorgeous. She was wearing a straw cowboy hat rolled up at the sides with a leather kind of, you know, with the tassels, you know, leather Western jacket and jeans and a big belt. And her makeup artist, Lauren, was there with her. And we were playing dollar bill poker, whatever that game is. And I learned that. (laughs) And I was just so, I was just like, wow, amazing. And of course, George Papard was playing Blake. And I thought, back to what how our interview started, Tony. I mean, here he is, George Papard, Breakfast at Tiffany's, the Blue Max, one of the great movie stars that I studied playing yeah. Blake. Was, I thought, my gosh, I mean, this is incredible. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, sure enough, six months later, we had to reshoot the whole thing. Esther Shapiro, the producer, called me and said, I'm sorry, John, but we have to reshoot everything in that pilot. We have a new actor playing, Blake Carrington. And I said, who's that? She said, John Forsythe. Mm. I said, oh, my goodness, another. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. And it's it's odd how I would end up on a show like that. And years later, to be working with Barbara Stanwyck. Oh, Oh. I mean, Hollywood royalty. Char- uh, Charlton Heston playing my father. I mean, the, yeah. the agony and the ecstasy and all these wonderful, I mean, huge movies. Yeah, I remember when I was working with Barbara on the Colby's at the time at Paramount Studios, which was just a, tr- a treat, that I would break parent. I'd stand there. I knew my mind. But I'd almost step out of myself mm-hmm. to watch her work. On, on camera because there are certain tech you know there are techniques to being an actor in front of a camera yeah and it was just like i would step out and go oh my gosh you're so good <laughs> <laughs> but you guys had i mean they made it they made it so opulent everything like real jewels and real flowers and that, that was must have been crazy that must have been that crazy i think that our flower budget is equal to some of the sitcom budgets in today's television just the flowers i mean doug insisted i mean they could have used fake flowers and silk flowers but yeah the hallway scenes and down at the bottom of the staircase there was a round table there and there was similar at the at the colby's but it just these huge vases of of these fresh flowers and uh, louis vuitton luggage and jewels and all this it was just incredible no that was the 80s for you Mm -hmm. um and you and pamela sue martin seemed to be having a ball playing jeff and fallon were you guys really close 
it started off very rocky. My first day on the set, my first scene in Hollywood, I had never done single camera Panavision movies or television. I'd only done soaps, which is mm -hmm. three camera, much like a sitcom. Right. And you don't worry about the camera. Everything's very different. They count you down like you would be on live television. Mm. Five, four, three, two, one, and then they wave the script and you start your line. So it was my day, and I was working with Pamela, where I kind of introduced myself, and we're outside behind Fioli at the shooting of the first pilot with Papard. And they said, okay, everybody ready? Okay, background. Okay, background. We have that. We have speed. Okay, ready. And I start speaking. I'm ready. <laughs> the director says, cut. He says, John, you start your lines on action. Oh, Tony, if you could have seen Pamela Sue Martin's face and she thought, I've got to work with this idiot. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but Pamela was the best thing that could have happened. I mean, we, uh, the chemistry between the two of us was just great mm -hmm. <laughs> because I was, you know, the straight laced conservative Republican Jeff Colby and she was this laissez-faire wild girl spoiled brat rich couldn't care has no morals doesn't care about family cares you know she's a party girl yeah and uh, yeah it really worked and I think the scene that I realized that there was a scene I think it was in the first season that I came out of the bathroom with a towel after taking a shower and she was sitting doing her makeup and it was about her wanting to have an abortion because she was pregnant. No, right. And it was, it was great. The, the crew applauded and I thought, you know, I grab her by the hair and pull her back. You know, it was a real classic. I have the picture on the wall. Uh, classic Hollywood scene. It looked like it looked like it was shot in the fifties, and that was Aaron. Uh, by the way, funny enough, um, Gordon tells the story about Linda Gray from Dallas. Yeah, how jealous she was of our show because of the way it looked. Hmm. She said, "We look like we're doing. <laughs> we look like we're doing a universal cheapo one-hour drama, <laughs> and you look like a nineteen fifties." Technicolor, just rich colors, and you're lit so beautifully. But yeah, I mean, getting back to again the beginning of our interview, here I am doing old Hollywood style, but in television, and working with truly old Hollywood megastars. And it's a that's a period of time when you look at it in television history, where it it that was just the right time right it never happened much after that it's that period i mean they had all these other shows like <laughs> dallas and falcon crest and not signing where they brought in all these old actors but it it after that it kind of webbed away like it now became much more younger oriented as opposed to uh, well i think you know if you look at the you look at the evolution of television television moved out of radio in the 50s right mm -hmm. and they kind of did they did live television they really didn't have they didn't have video until the late 50s so most of it was live a lot of variety shows then the 60s 
came in, and I call that the decade of experimental TV. I mean, yes, you had gun smoke, of course, but my mother, the car, um, <laughs> the, the Martian show. I mean, they had the Munsters. The Munsters, yeah. Uh, the Adams. I mean, they had some crazy, crazy, even the monkeys, great shows, mm-hmm. but they were experimenting in their dramas. I mean, yeah, they had the doctor, Marcus Welby and things like that. And they had, and then the seventies got into the kind of like chips and then Aaron Sparing, uh, Spelling comes along and starts with Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. And then he starts with Charlie's Angels. And then he starts with Fantasy Island. And I I think that's when, and all of television, I think hit its stride, really, as far as numbers and as far as really creating something that's entertaining was in the 80s. It just seemed to hit its stride. And then everything kind of changed and they went Hill Street Blues and then they went these, I don't, you know, I've had a long day at work. And that uh, an ABC executive told me, he said, that's what we programmed for in the 80s was, you know, people who get on the bus after work, they're exhausted, they're tired. They want to watch Fantasy Island. They want to watch Dynasty. They want, they don't. And then suddenly we got into this, which is fine. I mean, you know, Law and Order has been going, what, 25 years? Um, It's amazing. That show keeps you know, going. <laughs> it just keeps going. But on the other hand, you know, yes, it's very interesting to watch. But boy, I'll tell you, a little escapism goes a long way. I agree. I, I totally agree. That's why I still watch old movies. I literally have a collection and every so often I'm like, I need to escape. And I put on a Humphrey Bogart film or yeah, a we, Betty we Davis leave, film. We leave TCM on all day. Oh, do you? See? Yeah. Thanks for listening to part one of my conversation with actor John James. On the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed, my conversation with John continues as we discuss what it was like working with actress Joan Collins, getting his own spinoff show, The Colbys, alongside legendary movie stars Charlton Heston and Barbara Stanwyck, as well as his thoughts on the Dynasty reboot that recently aired on the CW Network. All that and more on the next episode of Hollywood Obsessed. This is your host, Tony Miros. See you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Hollywood Obsessed. Make sure to visit our Facebook page, Hollywood Obsessed Podcast, where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a single episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in every other Monday for our next episode. That's a wrap.